Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, Carlos. Bienvenido a Site One. ¿Recibiste mi orden? Claro, te van a cargar la troca. Un cafecito, una donita... ¿Y la figura...? que se quede redonda Site One no solo es el distribuidor más grande del país de productos de landscaping irrigación y luces, también somos un amigo en quien contar, valoramos a nuestros clientes latinos porque son una fuerza mayor de esta industria a través de esfuerzo y sudor, por eso cuando estás en Site One, estás entre amigos Site One, juntos más fuertes It's that extra little bit, isn't it? Welcome to Frank Ocean's Channel Orange, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> That's not I our usual intro music. Why, why, why is that there? Because it's a video games week, Dave. It's our top five video game songs, soundtracks of all time um, to celebrate the release of The Last of Us 2, which you have pre-ordered. Good to go. I have not as yet, so it's going to be a long download for me, but I am hyped. man. Gotta get in there. I'm gonna be it's just hours after this podcast, I will be midnight kicking into it. There's also a new mushroom head album in the world as of midnight oh. on Friday, <laughs> so it's gonna be a lot going on. Here, by the way, sorry, I just saw on Twitter uh, Vincent Brown, infamous talk show host man himself, has put up a tweet saying old seventy-eight records available, opera, operata, classical music, etc. Anybody interested? No charge, but they must be collected from Dunleary. Do you wanna go down and see what he's got? Is that within my twenty K? I don't know. I'm very tempted. Yeah, that sounds great. I'd be all over that. It's stuff. the whole county. You got the whole county now, man. Where have you I'm been? In Calair. Oh, wait, I'm oh, in Calair, shit, man. Yeah, you're in Calair. Sorry, <laughs> I'm outside, okay, I I'm outside man, the pale. <laughs> I'm I, got, the I, pale got, I got into a lot of trouble when I was in Joe. People were always like, "You got such a Dublin-centric brain on you. Like you think Dublin's like the fucking capital or the, the whole epicenter of everything." And I'm like, "Meanwhile, in Drogheda, <laughs> Dave." <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not even from Dublin. Okay, right. I'm buzzing uh, from. Of, uh, I'm buzzing from that PlayStation night end, by the way. I think that's my it's favorite, really like, Sonic, bit of Sonic branding, as they say in the biz. Who says that? Do you say that in work? Yes, I do. I'm in advertising. Sonic branding. It's great, though, isn't it? That was, I, I think the PlayStation was my favorite ever Santa present. I got it when I was seven years old. It was phenomenal. I asked for a Mega Drive 
because I had the original Nintendo and I think seven-year-old me was like, there's no way I can leap a generation and go from like 8-bit to 32. So it was just like, okay, I'll ask for a Mega Drive, even though the Saturn and the PlayStation are out. And then Santa gave me the PlayStation. It was incredible. All that and more coming up later in the show. Hit the music! Dave Hanready and there will be no encore. Welcome to episode 218 of the No Encore Music Podcast, patreon.com slash no encore if you would like to throw us the price of a pint. A giant bird just flew towards my window there as I was recording that intro and I got really scared. Thankfully, it's got to be a good omen, right? Upward trajectory kind of came along right at the right time. I was just like, what the fuck? Okay, it's fine. It's okay. It's all good. It's okay. So yeah, listen, Craig, on this episode, Video Game Music Smackdown, our top five best original video game music songs. That's going to happen. Um, Yet another week in which I'm like, yeah, you know, there's so much more than five, but I've done my best. How was it for you? Um, I This was your idea and it turned out to be a great one. But initially I was a bit tentative because I was like, I'm not the biggest gamer these days. I was back in the day, certainly as a teen. Um, but yeah, once I got into it, I was just like, it was such a nostalgia trip. Um, and I discovered loads of stuff like games I haven't even played. I was kind of steering away for, from them for the list because it felt a bit like cheating, but there's so much good stuff out there. We talked recently about like weird kind of um, subgenres. And as a Vaporwave fan, and obviously you're um, big into your Nintendo Core stuff, um it was like it's that kind of vibe isn't it it's just delving into kind of i don't know throwback nostalgic kind of commercial sounds yeah it was it's been a good week it has, yeah. And we'll see where it takes us later in the show. On the show also, we will have an interview with musician and healthcare professional Jamie Adam in a week in which, you know, there's been further talk about mass gatherings and gigs, festivals, and people starting to book gigs again for next year. We're kind of wondering what that's going to look like and also what it's like to be a musician and a healthcare professional during a pandemic, because that's an interesting duality. So we'll be talking to him and also, Craig, um, there'll be a special guest at the end of the top five has yet to, to be revealed. Five. Yeah, yeah. So you revealed, can't give it I away. Can't, I, I can't give it away. Yeah. Otherwise, it'll be a case of you knowing what I'm, I've gone with. But uh, all to come later in the show. But we'll start the new section with an old standard, a classic piece of music. We'll meet again. Don't know where. Don't know where. But I know we'll meet again some sunny day. Yeah, Craig. Dame Vera Lynn down. God bless you, Mom. <laughs> at the age of 103, an yeah. English singer, performed for troops during World War II, died on Thursday morning, hours before this podcast was recorded. Like I say, 103 years of age. Her best known songs include what you just heard there, The Amazing We'll Meet Again. Such a good as well song. As, yeah, it's so beautiful. It's, and it's, it's, it's kind of sad that it's been co-opted lately as a joke because it's obviously being played a lot in, you know, Brexit land and people out in the streets kind of with arms around each other when they shouldn't be. Um, but obviously it was kind of a rallying cry during World War II. And it's just a really well-written song as well. 
Yeah, oh, it's gorgeous. Yeah, I mean, like it's it, it's popped up in everything from, as you say, uh, Brexit propaganda to yeah. the film Hellboy, which I'm quite fond of. Oh, and yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's used very sweetly in that actually. Uh, a gorgeous song, a timeless classic, and yeah, I mean, rest in peace, Vera Lynn. She was born in 1917, issued her earliest recorded works in the 30s, and hosted a radio program called Sincerely Yours during World War II. And of course, during that conflict, she performed for troops across the world. Uh, at the age of 92, Craig, in 2009, she released a compilation album. We'll meet again the very best of Vera Lynn, which topped the charts in the UK, making her the oldest living artist to achieve such a feat. Um, it's one of those ones where, like, I, I know, you know, obviously, like, whenever anyone dies, there's always an outpouring of, like, oh, it's tragic, it's tragic. But, like, again, this one felt more like kind of a celebration, like what an amazing icon she was. Yeah, like, it's definitely the end of an era. <laughs> um, and she lived, like, quite a life. Like, she did a lot of, she was kind of like a forces pin-up right back in World War Two. So she did a lot of kind of, just essentially charity work where she visited armed forces and kind of like boosted the morale and stuff. But I was looking at some of the places she went to and like she was kind of all over Africa, really kind of like at the time war-torn spots that were constantly being bombed and attacked. So like pretty gutsy um, and yeah, an incredible, incredible life. So rest in peace to her. So uh, from one British icon to another, I believe you have prepared. Uh, I haven't actually dived into this interview because I figured have you, you not read probably, it? Okay, no, I haven't. So please tell me everything about it. Well, we need to talk about Johnny Johnny Burrell. As I fi- I finally got to the bottom of how you pronounce that name, and it is indeed Burrell, the more extravagant uh, pronunciation, quite fittingly. David Johnny Burrell press junk. It's a beautiful thing, right? It's um. I, were you offered a potential Razorlight interview in Joe with Joe yeah, like last year? Or yeah. So, but it was it it with happened. the band rather than Johnny or something weird. It was like one that. of those things where, and like I'm sure you you've gotten these emails yourself, where like there's a random festival that you've never heard of, whether it's in the UK or whether it's in fucking like Estonia or something, and you get this email being like, "Hey, Dave, you know, uh, this great festival is coming up, and we can look into getting you there." Of course, this person not understanding my endurance distaste for the for the for the festival experience and essentially it's like these are all the acts that are available to talk to and i looked at the bill and razorlight was on there so i was like i think it's time (laughs) like i think it's time for me to finally have my frost nixon moment with the great johnny (laughs) i've forgotten how to pronounce his surname already burrell burrell okay (laughs) it's not not (laughs) barrel johnny burrell and then essentially like the person, the PR I was dealing with came back and she was saying, oh, I mean, yeah, like Johnny's not really doing much press at the moment, but we can probably get you like someone else in the band. And I'm like, first of all, who could possibly keep up with who's even in that band anymore that isn't him? One of the guys so in like, like the Native American headdresses probably, you know? <laughs> <laughs> one of the pirate men. So I was yeah, like, no, no. I was like, look, listen, it's Johnny or it's nothing. And in the end, it was nothing. And I'm still sad about it. Uh, I feel like we, if I pushed hard enough, I could get him. But or like, like, I feel like he's available. But, but obviously, enemy got him. So the enemy you've got him this learn? week. Yeah, it's it's he's back, and Razorlight seems to be back. By the way, like you know, it probably is Barrel. If there's any rock star, sorry, quote unquote rock star that's going to book it slash bouquet his name, it's going to be Johnny, right? Um, there's some interesting stuff in this piece. He he kind of comes off quite well, I think, for him, like and quite self aware, and he seems to have like calmed down in the years he's been in something of a pop wilderness it's for a segment called um rock does rock and roll kill brain cells right so basically the conceit is the enemy ask him stuff about his own career and he has to answer blah 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 and it's just a nice platform for an interview but probably the most interesting thing that came out of it was they put it to him they put him put to him as quote from matty healy which i hadn't heard before where Matty Healy of uh, the 1975 fame was talking about wankers and rock and roll, of all things. 
Um, and he basically said, we're not worried about becoming a bunch of wankers because the people who become wankers were always going to be become wankers. Johnny Burrell is a wanker because he's a wanker, not because Razorlight got massive. That's <laughs> a Matty Healy quote there, which was put to Johnny, um, who said he didn't have a clue who said it. They definitely didn't say it to his face. Um, and he was quite diplomatic, right? This is the same Johnny Burrell who back in the day was like, um, when it comes to our music, um, <laughs> Bob Dylan's making the chips and I'm drinking the champagne. Same man who in 2004 said... What does that said, even mean? I don't, <laughs> I don't know. Understand. I've never figured out what that means. I guess champagne's better than chips. <laughs> he also said in about 2004, I'm going to America and I'm not coming back until I'm king. <laughs> Which is great. But he's a changed man these days. Um, so here's this quote. He says, I don't think I've ever met him. So it seems like a strange thing to say. Uh, you just read that to me and I think... Um, gosh, I hope he's doing all right. Because uh, they don't think you give out to people who you don't even know unless you're not doing all right yourself. All I can say to the guy is, good luck, man. Um, then he's asked, did any of the criticism over the years ever hurt him? And he goes on to say, something like that doesn't bother you because it's quite transparently what it is. The only thing that bothered me were journalists making up quotes uh, that people on the street would believe. He said he had five years of saying that and then being like, oh man, you're actually all right. Um, the journalist comes back with the, with the line, there's always a musician who's an easy punchline for a while. And John, he says, uh, quite good naturally, but maybe a little ruefully, um, but I never thought it would be me. So there you go. Wow. <laughs> I kind of oh feel bad he's, for him now. He's gone zen. He's gone melancholic zen. He seems quite zen. Like he's living, he's living in rural France, apparently. He doesn't, he owns a he phone. Is, yeah. uh, he said, I've just got an old <laughs> Nokia. Uh, he said he doesn't think bands should do Facebook or social media because it's not rock and roll. And to do the interview, he had to go to like a landline in some like small cafe miles from his house in France. So... I Hang like on, this I'm new genre. I'm literally looking up Twitter right now to see if Razorlight have a Twitter account. Of course they do. <laughs> like, I assume <laughs> it's, run, it's run by someone else. Their new single is called Burn Camden Burn. They have 19.1k followers. And they retweeted the, the recent interview. So someone's running the page, which, you know, not very rock and roll. Apparently the um, original guitarist and the original bassist are back. Or one of them's back and the other one is emailing him again so it looks like we might get the band back together well let's not forget that i saw them play at electric picnic last year of course on the sunday oh yeah how was and that and they it was miserable <laughs> it's it was weird terrible. how massive they were for such a brief moment right they yeah, seem to be yeah. like on the cusp of like being a it sounds crazy now but like almost u2 level or something you know it seemed like they're on that kind of trajectory even though they didn't have really the quality but like America, remember America becoming massive and then just nothing. They were like the source of ridicule for the mainstream like a year later. It was odd. I still think it's one of the worst songs ever. Do you remember we had, um, we did worst lyrics in the show recently? I was, I was going to so say, sure. I'm amazed. I, I think can't believe we, neither of us I, picked it. Yeah. Yeah. Somewhere I think else, it was the case of like <laughs> neither of us blinking. Because I was thinking this is definitely on Dave's list. So maybe I won't yeah, pick yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. You know what also, I mean? Also, in so. fairness, I actually do. I think Somewhere Else is a genuinely really good song. And I like that lyric, which of course, for anyone who doesn't know, yeah. it's, and I met a girl. She asked me my name. I told her I what told it was. I told her what it was. <laughs> <laughs> it kind of works, right? Because like, he has to know how banal it is. Or, yeah. 
Um, but no, I saw them at Picnic and I gave them a go and I was just like, this is just shit. And it's just, it's it's 2004 indie again. I'm not into it. You know, still he's still doing his thing. And I think they supported Kaiser Chiefs in 3 Arena before shut down. Oh, you know, okay. I don't know. I mean, listen, I wish him well. And I swear, I really, really do still want to interview him. So if anyone hears this who knows him, we're fans, man. We are fans. <laughs> yeah. I think Golden Touch is a great song. The first album was pretty oh, good you, rock and roll. Um, uh, Stumble and Fall is a good song. Can you... Um, can you recall what you always throw out here whenever we talk about him? Can you please recall the amazingly emotional performance on the Jonathan Ross show, <laughs> which led to the <laughs> end of their career? <laughs> he did the lead single from the album that came after the self-titled album, which was like the one that kind of broke them, the one with America and all that. So it was like uh, returning heroes, ready to take the next step. Like, I think this was the one in Johnny's mind was like their Joshua tree. Do you know what I mean? Do you remember the name of this album? Um... Slipway Fires. Correct. <laughs> the lead single from Slipway Fires was a song called Wire to Wire. It was an emotional yes, was. ballad performed by Johnny on piano. And <laughs> the introduction to this song, Jonathan Ross was like, guys, I'm just going to tell you up front, I heard this in rehearsal and um, it's it's sensational. Like, this is going to change your <laughs> lives. <laughs> and Johnny proceeded to give a heartfelt uh, rendition of a song that was essentially Horse With No Name. <laughs> um, <laughs> By the band America, right? <laughs> Ironically Correct, enough. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and everyone was just like, well, that's just a straight rip. And it was all downhill from there. Down the John slipway, Ross, into John the fire. Ross, like, bursting into tears. Yeah. Like, <laughs> so just a line stupid. in it about having a face full of rust. It was just pretension on pretension. And that was it. Well, a band that have steered away from pretension and into, I guess, pure chaos over the years are, of course, the wonderful Metallica, who apparently are working on a new album. That's right, get excited, guys. But they're doing it in the modern parlance, the coronavirus era way of doing things. They're recording this album on Zoom? <laughs> yeah, fuck? they're doing it over Zoom. And, like, there's a lot of kind of, like, obviously they're trash metal gods, but, like, classic rock bands have announced that they're, they've had plenty of time on their hands. Like, the likes of Journey and stuff are now coming out of the woodwork being like, yeah, we're recording a new album, um, while, like, self isolating this is kind of akin to like your granny now using facetime or just everyone's parents now like sending too many whatsapp memes or like ill-advised health and safety advice the rock and roll version is bands doing like albums over zoom this can't be good right um like lara said lara said in april that there was a very good chance that they would do a quarantine record and the update is that yeah they've been exchanging some ideas um obviously hardware to self-destruct was um pretty good it was a return to form i think we enjoyed it we were shocked we liked it quite this, a bit yeah <laughs> i mean if you're a band at the peak of your powers recording an album in isolation long distance has to be tricky when you're metallica who famously have had communication issues over the years i don't know if zoom's gonna cut it for these guys maybe it will well i mean i guess it's a good sign that like maybe james heffield's on the road to recovery again because oh, of course i didn't even think of that yeah yeah so i mean like like i think any kind of positive news from them like i don't know i, th- I think we've all kind of come to accept metallica for what they are at this stage of their career hang on sorry the copy of this by the way the text that you have uh in this running order did you take this from the website for radio nova or because it signs <laughs> off here in block capitals happy days nova fans is that you just yeah, editorializing i added that because we've a little I've, i put in a little roundup after the metallica news um of like the various different bands that are working away so journey as i said <laughs> alice cooper's doing stuff with his hollywood vampires <laughs> so johnny oh, depp back in our lives um but yeah he uses this is from ultimate classic rock.com dave 
and he, he uses sorry, the yeah, phrase um, proper <laughs> the lockdown might lead to a boomlet of new music not a boom a boomlet it's not a word it's like, like it's a, like a stock market term for a mini boom um so it was like yeah i'm gonna have to lob that in def leopard as well um, back at it what, what's the sonic branding like on that uh, pretty shoddy, to be honest. Okay, fair Just enough. Your generic turn, audio jungle nightmare. Turn Trent Reznor into this as well. They're like, oh, like they're mentioning yeah. bands like Journey and Megadeth, and then they're like, oh, by the way, Trent Reznor is also doing. And I'm like, uh, first of all, like never stopped, <laughs> and second of all, not quite in the same category as some of these lads. I, I don't know why he's been lumped in here, but uh, yeah, I don't know. It's it's it's. I, I would take a new Metallica album, but I don't necessarily want it to be written about being in quarantine. No, <laughs> like, I hope they're recording the Zoom calls. There must be gold in them hills, right? Like they, apparently they've been they've been having just weekly chats just to kind of catch up and like um, keep the friendship going. And as you say now, when you mention uh, James, kind of on the road to recovery, that's really heartwarming, actually. So um, yeah, I'd love to I'd love to kind of see some of those Zoom chats. They're probably surreal as feck. What's going on with J Cole this week? J Cole released a new song uh, during the week called "Snow on the Bluff." Um, he's come in for some heat for it because he took a dig at No Name. Um, no Name, of course, an artist who's been at the forefront of uh, the Black Lives Matter movement, um, the recent kind of uprising in the US, and she's you know herself been calling out people just in terms of how involved they are or the steps they're taking for equality. Um, J Cole's song essentially is J. Cole in um, kind of reflective mode, as he's wont to do. Um, he kind of, he doesn't name No Name, um, ironically enough, um, but he seems to address her and he's come out since then um, and responded and kind of said, yeah, it is about her. He People are getting upset at the term he used, uh, queen tone, but basically he says, the gist of it is don't be so self-righteous. I don't know how to handle this situation myself as a black man. And you're basically making me feel bad by saying that you have all the answers and I'm not doing enough. Um, as I say, people have taken umbrage with um, some of the terms he uses in it. He's had to come out and say, listen, I admire everything she's doing. She is a real queen. Listen to her. I don't have the answers. Um, sorry if it caused offence. The latest today was Chance came out of came out of the woodwork to basically say that um, to basically call out J Cole and say that it wasn't on and it was another example of the patriarchy and all that kind of stuff. So uh, I haven't heard much from Chance of late, but as always, the kind of dudes that will dish it out even to his close friends because apparently he's mates with J Cole but can't really take it. So it's just kind of a developing story. I don't really have any major comment on it um, because it's so complex but it struck me as interesting because, listen, J Cole is a big voice uh, in hip-hop and um, Black America at this stage, particularly with the youth. No Name is rising as well. It's kind of refreshing to see people come out and say they don't have all the answers when they're in that, that situation. It's it's such a tricky one. Um and it's kind of not nice to see people fighting amongst themselves when they're clearly on the same side, right? Yeah, and also, like, nobody wants to fucking chance the rapper weighing in. <laughs> I swear to God, man, I legitimately, the other day, out of nowhere, had one of those, oh, man, remember Chance the Rapper released a wedding album, and it was the worst thing. It was only, only last year. The big day. Um, the big day. <laughs> 22 tracks or some bullshit? I don't know. Yeah, as you say, so there's a complex issue that like I simply don't know enough about. No name, yeah. I have seen pop up an awful lot in terms of you know being quite vocal and making very, very cogent points about everything that's going on. I do know that J. Cole, for a time, and Kendrick as well, by the way, were like, 
there were people kind of saying, I, I haven't seen Kendrick do anything and I need I need to see him say something. And I'm like, really? You you think that Kendrick Lamar isn't like on board with what's with the cause? And then he went to a rally and everyone was like, oh, thank God. Cool. Yeah. Now we don't have to cancel him. And I'm like, Jesus. <laughs> like, yeah. Fuck. Yeah. I might actually just, I'll just read the Cole response because I, I have just been kind of putting words in their mouths by paraphrasing. So he, he kind of uh, took to Twitter and said, right or wrong, I can't say, but I can say it was honest about the song. Some assume to know who the song is about. That's fine with me. It's not my job to tell anybody uh, what to think or feel about the work. I accept all conversations and criticisms. He also said, follow no name. I love and honour her as a leader in these times and said uh, quite nice things about her as well. So yeah, that's been his response just to clarify on it. <laughs> Uh, a couple of weeks ago, Sonic Architect Adam did me a solid and made me a short playlist for on drill music because, you know, I don't really know drill music at all. And I was like, yeah, I really should probably get, and even like talking to Max Zanga, I was like, yeah, no, it's definitely an area that I'm not well versed in. Uh, yeah. I'm still not well versed enough in it to really kind of get into any kind of proper discussion on it. But I will say that I've been enjoying the music that Adam assembled for me. Uh, you've talked about drill music before and yeah. it seems that it's, it, it's, it's uh, being highlighted in a very interesting way at the moment. There's a piece on BBC's website uh, about how it's been used to teach philosophy and kind of social sciences and stuff, which I, I thought was interesting. We have covered it on the show before. Um, there's some drill stuff I, I quite dig, to be honest, but when we've touched on it, I think actually it first came to my attention when Scotland Yard and like the Met Police were getting YouTube to remove drill videos because they said it was promoting violence. So this is a kind of nice twist on it. Um, really refreshing angle. So yeah, obviously it's been a couple of years since large sections of the media first started panicking about drill music. Um, this program, Roadworks, um, has been up and running. Uh, it's now on YouTube um, with a series called a Drillosophy. Um, but essentially, these two guys have gotten together and they've been teaching um, pupils stuff about social science, stuff about philosophy, but basing it on the lyrics of Drill and kind of stuff they're already listening to really makes sense. Uh, pre-lockdown they'd been reaching out to pupils with this program in schools and like referral units in the UK which is basically where kids are sent after being excluded from school right so people that are already kind of slipping out the system um one of the co-founders, um, Kieran, says that, yeah, young people who break the rules, who don't want to conform, are natural social scientists, or natural philosophers, are questioning what's around them. The thing is, they're just not channeling that in the right way, um, but they've got the kind of minds that you can actually talk to. So they've been doing this work. Then when kind of Corona hit, they were like, we need to take it online. So they've done that. It's now on YouTube. Uh, it's on Mixtape Madness, this series, Drillosophy. And yeah, like they're teaching stuff like Plato's cave um, theory and just kind of, you know, Aristotle's theory of catharsis, kind of really big ideas, but filtering it through really popular drill tracks and stuff that people can relate to. And I thought it was, it was a nice thing to read. It's actually a really good piece um, that's worth checking out online um, by a guy called Cameron Virk. Uh, it was a really good um, read. So yeah, it's, it's nice to see that take on it. Awesome, man. Uh, also, with the potential of being awesome, is a Spike Lee-directed concert film uh, focusing on one David Byrne and his American Utopia Broadway show. They'll get its premiere on HBO later this year. Spike Lee, of course, fresh from dropping a film on Netflix last week, The Five Bloods, which I watched and didn't think was great, but it has really good performances in it. So, I don't know. I find with Spike Lee that like I can either take him or leave him, particularly his most recent work. It's just very, very didactic, very, very ponderous, very yeah. meandering, very, very I muddled. saw Black Klansman. Uh, finally, like a couple, yeah. couple of weeks ago. It was just, I wanted to like it. I kind of liked everyone in it. Uh, it was kind of rooting for it, but it was like tonally all over the place. It just didn't quite work for me. 
Um, obviously, yeah, the ending was the very affecting, well, pretty much. You know? Yeah, yeah. But I've high hopes for this because it involves David Byrne. Um, missed him live. You've seen David Byrne live. I am absolutely. I jealous. went to the show in the three arena, jealous. and it was it was legitimately one of the best shows I've ever seen in my entire life. It was phenomenal. It was so inventive. Of course, I mean, every word I was saying, out, you're like, yeah, well, obviously it's David Byrne, but it was just such a different experience. It was so so impressive. Although I remember one of my favorite kind of takeaways from that night was at the end of it when I was kind of standing there just in awe. I looked to my my left or my right, and Dave Fanning was standing beside me because he was obviously like in the seat. Next the to me, Dave you know, Fanning, the <laughs> Dave Fanning. Oh my god! And I went. I I don't know him, but I just went like I had a few drinks, so I was like, I was like, what do you think? And Dave Fanning goes, eh, good songs were good, crap songs were crap. <laughs> I was like, okay. <laughs> Yeah, I kind of think for you there, Dave. <laughs> yeah, you'd kind of expect Dave Fanning to be like, oh, it's not quite up there with when I saw Stop Making Sense in person. Do you know what I mean? Was it the was mm. it the Broadway show? Was it American Utopia? Was it that adapting or was it a, just a, a kind of solo gig? It probably had a lot of the same kind of scenes, right? I mean, it was touring that record and it had, yeah. you know, it had all of the, the cast of characters that he has. You know, they're all wearing the suits with the headsets and it's it's this kind of evolving, moving stage play thing. So I don't know if it's exactly the same as the Broadway show, but it's it's a show. You know, it's yeah. very theatrical. The stage was on, different from anything I've It was on Colbert before. around that time and it was an amazing performance. It's very yeah. similar, yeah, to that. Yeah, he did the performance of Everyone's Coming to My House. So uh, Spike Lee has said it's an honour and a privilege that my art brother, David Byrne, asked me to join him in concert to invite me into his magnificent world. It's a once-in-a-lifetime truth peace and love be safe spike and i have crossed paths many times over the years says Byrne. obviously i'm a huge fan and i finally here was an opportunity for us to work together absolutely thrilled with the result the broadway show was a wonderful challenge as well as an opportunity a joy to perform and well best let the quote speak for themselves thrilled with this show and the subjects it addresses will now re- reach a wider audience also sorry is he saying like best let the quote speak for themselves he's like the reviews were incredible <laughs> <laughs> like is that what that is like play enjoyed yeah, by much. all yeah, I think so. Uh, it's a bit like, bit humble braggy. <laughs> um, but Fair yeah, enough. like that's kind of typical Dave Fern, um, who probably the, the less he can say, kind of um, the better in his mind. You know what I mean? So yeah, he's probably happy to let the kind of critics do what they want to do and get on with his art. Oh, it is. Sorry, it is definitely the same show because he notes here that um, the show would, inc- in the set list, it include a rendition of Janelle Monae's Hell You Tell About, which featured Byrne and the musicians calling it the names of black Americans who've been unjustly killed with the refrain, say his name or say her name. And they did that. And it was fucking astounding. Uh, in a recent Rolling Stone interview, Byrne uh, noted that he asked Janelle Monae by permission to use the song. She loved it, he said. I was kind of surprised. There was no hesitation. She's very generous. So I continued to ask her, we're doing it on Broadway now. Are you sure you're okay with this? And she said, yeah, all good. You know, she's about getting the message out. So this has the potential to be something really fucking cool. I find that like all, like in a lot of cases, concert performances don't really translate fully to the screen. I, I think it's very, very rare that you get something that really comes out of the screen. But totally. I would say that this one, this one could be it. I hope that Spike Lee eases up on his fucking... Uh, just his lecturing shit but you know the the material is there and there's a director there who can be amazing so that's yeah all. there's no doubting his technical ability so if kind of david burns taking care of the creative and the content this could be match made in heaven and obviously stop making sense is you know probably one of if not the greatest concert film of all time so he has form i'm just hoping like if this is hbo we actually get it over here like will it come to netflix i know sky have a deal with hbo will it be a sky arts thing i'm sure it'll come out over here it'll be huge demand well, a potential match made in hell at the moment is Live Nation and Live Nation artists. There's some yeah. controversy afoot, Craig. What's happening? 
Um, Live Nation, good old Live Nation, seem to be using the pandemic to um, shift the balance of power back to promoters in the post-pandemic world. Um, So obviously with the COVID-19 crisis kind of grinding the live music business to a halt, um, they're looking to the future, they're looking to 2021, and they're looking to kind of renegotiate contracts with artists. Um, This is being called a rare opportunity for the company to push through long-term changes um, in terms of how it compensates artists who play festivals like Lollapalooza, Austin City Limits. Uh, I'm sure this will have knock-on effects because Live Nation are so big. Just with other promoters around the world, it will kind of set an industry standard. And there's some kind of worrying things here for artists. There's also some changes that could maybe protect more independent promoters and smaller things, but I think it's going to hit artists' pocket as per usual. So essentially what they're going to do is reduce payments and shift the risk to artists. Um, Have you had a look at this, Dave? There's some kind of worrying figures. Um, Stuff like where at the moment, you know, if a festival is cancelled, the artist is entitled to 100% of their fee. That would be reduced down to about 20%. And also there's kind of stipulations where if an artist has to cancel their set at a festival, they'll have to pay back double their fee. Um, so yeah, it's kind of big, bad live nation trying to kind of shift the power, uh, back in their favor at a time when it looks like things might be aligning in favor of artists, particularly from a live point of view. Do you know what I mean? It's the one kind of revenue stream that, yeah, I was, I was just thinking about this. I was just thinking about how, like, I mean, Aiken promotions have obviously been hit quite hard to the point where their future is in question with mcd it appears to be like that they're okay and i'm like well how could they be okay i mean i know that they're like the biggest game in town but and they're obviously owned by live nation therefore but i'm like as this article points out as as quotes in the article point out everyone's been losing money including live nation and every other promoter those losses were going to change how business was done and everyone was kind of waiting to see what would happen and you know this this is following on from a trend with the biggest companies. I mean, you have uh, WWE, you know, the wrestling fucking juggernaut, yeah. laying off staff, furloughing other staff, and being very ruthless. And, and also in a situation where, like, some of their moves were designed to just turn a profit as opposed to emergency situations. So you have to wonder if at the very, very top of these colossal ventures, there is a, a level of like, we can't afford to not even just go under, we can't afford to show weakness. We can't afford to like, you know, lose anything. We have to maintain a balance sheet. It sounds like a logistical fucking nightmare, but of course it appears that the workers, you know, whether it's professional wrestlers who put their bodies on the line every fucking for 300 plus nights a year, or whether it's musicians who obviously like struggle to keep the lights on and like when things are even good sometimes, are, are the most affected. Um, former guest of the show, Jim Carroll, who has, of course, been very outspoken when it comes to Electric Picnic, MCD, Live Nation, etc. Uh, he yeah. had a few tweets on the subject today. He said, the house always wins. Very clear that Live Nation and their subsidiaries like Festival Republic and MCD concerts are going to make the most of a bad situation. If artists thought things were problematic with streaming payments, this is downright shocking. And Jim, kind of later in his thread, says, I feel so sad and sorry for acts at all levels and those who work for and with them because the system is so rigged against them. They'll be the very last sector to come back after the pandemic and now they know that the Live Nation machine are going to fleece them so yeah uh, and in a week as well in ireland when like you know there was all this kind of like positive news and you know maybe some inflation there of like uh arts was getting a bit of attention like they've secured 20 million possibly 25 million in funding um it still seems like once again artists are being completely fucked over and it's no surprise is it no it's the kind of you know small exaggerated capsule form of 
I think what is going on in terms of like capitalism in general, right? Because you just think back to the recession of 08, 09 and how in the years after that, you know, there was or the crash then and then the ensuing recession, the gap between what kind of the poorest people are the kind of the average workers you say is earning and then the richest of the rich just kind of widened even more. So it seems like none of these bumps in the road are massive kind of catastrophes affect the top bracket whatsoever. It's just another excuse to kind of uh, hit people where it hurts. And yeah, I mean, artists are, of course, the most vulnerable um, when it comes to industry and sectors like that. It's just so precarious. And as I say, in this like kind of write-up, it's dressed up as like, oh, well, it's going to save a lot of independent festivals and blah, blah, blah. It's it's kind of disingenuous when you look at some of the figures and it's only going to benefit the top crust. There was also um, during the week, like outgoing Taoiseach Leo Varadkar responded to someone on Twitter saying... Um, well, since I've been Taoiseach, you know, arts has gone up by this, this and this. And, you know, it's been the most, like, promising, uh, like, returns we've ever had for for artists in, in, in Irish communities, like, in the three years that I've been in power. Uh, but, yeah, you're right. Like, it's still not enough. And people have been very rightly seizing on that being, like, fuck off. You haven't done enough. This is insulting. And it is that thing of, like, like that's what galls me, where it's, like, Ireland is always sold to tourists as... Yeah. A nation of, you know, fucking writers and poets and dancers and filmmakers and musicians and uh, like everything, you know? And then yeah, it's like, saints and scholars. But, but how dare you like ask for money? What are you talking about? It's not actually a, like a thing. However, Radker, of course, also in the news this week for a variety of reasons. And one of which is that uh, he's once again revisiting the ideas of mass gatherings and social events and stuff like cinemas reopening and festivals and yada, yada, yada. On Tuesday, he said that if the virus continues to be suppressed as it is now, that's the uh, COVID-19 coronavirus, by the way, for anyone who doesn't know what I'm talking about. Uh, he said we could see some smaller outdoor mass gatherings in September, maybe outdoor cultural events of a few thousand people three or four or five thousand unlikely to be more than that um i i don't think that that's gonna happen i don't know where, where this is coming from no he's been very frivolous isn't he like it's 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 very unlike Varadkar to kind of give that i i think it might happen or else he wouldn't say it i just love the way he throws out like numbers like a you know three thousand or four thousand or, or five thousand whatever you're having yourself uh it seems quite soon um but yeah just being a such a push in various kind of sectors for return to form. I mean, this has been the week where people are trying to negotiate with themselves and with their kind of fucking pubs and like, okay, if I get a nine quid meal, can I stay in a pub for 90 minutes? Well, and hang then, on, on like, that subject, yeah. Craig, uh, notorious um, controversialist sports journalist Ewan McKenna on Twitter had a pretty good one during the week when he said, interesting, so COVID in Ireland has evolved to the point where it transmits to two metres, but only in a non-bar setting. And you can't get it in a pub if you're having a substantial meal, but only if it's more than nine euro. If less... COVID will know this and strike. Fascinating mutation. And it's like, yeah, the whole thing just feels almost like, fuck, 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 fuck. We need to get the economy back, don't we? Let's just get, let's just get to it. Yeah, let's go. Yeah, yeah. And give some like, yeah, just float out a few like arbitrary rules so it looks like we're still in control. But really, it's just like open the floodgates. Yeah, totally. Okay, so on this, on the idea of going to gigs again, on the idea of culture and the clash with the coronavirus, of course, I caught up during the week with uh, musician and healthcare professional Jamie Adam. His current single, Sir David Attenborough, is out now. You can get him on Spotify and Bandcamp and all the rest. And here's what he had to say about things.
Delighted to be joined in the encore by Jamie Adam, a man who presumably was looking forward to lots of summer festivals, having been on a bit of a tear there himself. But unfortunately, it's been a bit more of a day job situation for you, sir. What's what's life been like the last few months? Um, yeah, it's been strange, man. It's been a a really weird twenty twenty, I guess. Like it has been for everyone, I guess. Um, yeah, last year was good. Uh, we uh, put out an album last year and. Off the back of that, then got some nice, nice gigs, uh, Ireland Music Week and other voices there in December, and I was sort of hoping to, to, to record new music this year and and um, get gigging again, and then everything sort of kicked off, um, I guess here in Ireland in 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 March really, and it just totally changed things for everyone, I guess, and we I could sort of see it coming because. You know, with me working in a hospital, it just sort of I could see it, see it coming, and I was like, "This is this is not good." Um, having seen what was happening in China first of all, and then it spread into Europe. Um, but uh, I did I honestly didn't expect at the time that there would be uh, a lockdown. Um, like has happened really for the over the course of the last three months. It it sort of exceeded expectations in terms of how it really shut down our, our country you know you know we've our generation we've, we've never had anything like this before so everyone's sort of had to to learn on their feet and try and try and adapt to it and um i think we've done really well as a as a as a population i think everyone has done really well you can see it in terms of the um, the infection rates now in terms of how uh, we were able to keep capacity with the with the hospitals compared to other countries i think we've done really well as a, as a nation overall um so you have to commend people for for um how well they've just abided by the government and and uh, and the rules and regulations that were put out so but it's been it's been a really weird couple of months, I guess. Sort of being, I've sort of felt like I've been in the middle, you know. Yeah, you're you're in that kind of unique position because I mean, like you're a creative person who's working in the healthcare field, which of course, I mean, it's not to say that the two can't be, you know, like, like that this can't be a thing. But I think mm. ultimately, you don't tend to put the two together too often. So I mean, for you now having that kind of, I guess, that kind of, you know duality brain going on it must be a really really weird just atmosphere to be still creative still putting out music as you have recently while yeah. also reporting for work every day and being face to face with with this thing i mean like for for people like myself you know like the, the likes of going to fucking little can be a bit of a, a stress but i can't even fathom what you're what you're seeing every day like, like like what is it like for you like just that monday to friday it's been it's hard to say because you're dead right. They're not really two fields, and I know there are there are a couple there are creatives who, who do both. It was never something I always tried to keep the two very separate. Uh, so I would always go into work, and work would be work, and then the music, the creativity side of things, I would always always keep it separate because it was its own thing, and they were two distinctly um, separate entities, really. Um, and when they both sort of amalgamated then in terms of what was happening over the last few months, I found it very, very confusing. Um, first of all, being in the hospital and you're waiting for this avalanche of of infection to come, having seen, 
you know, what's happening in Italy and what's happening in Spain. Um, and at the same time, you know that it's going to directly affect the, the music industry. Um, it was just really difficult to, to try and stay creative, I guess. With me, it's not something that I can just turn on. You know, I can't just switch a light and there's an album or anything like that. So I really haven't been that creative. I've been consuming more so than anything else. Which I think is okay. I mean, like, like we're in this kind of, like, it is, there's a pressure on you as well to, like, you know, make the great quarantine album. And listen, mate, like, you know, I'm not going to tell you how to do your, your musical job, but please don't write coronavirus anthems. Like, like nobody wants them. You know, I'm very, very scared that some people are going to, like, really go down that road. And I know Charlie XCX played the quarantine record, and when that 1975 album got delayed, I was like, he's definitely going in there to write some fucking coronavirus lyrics, isn't he? And thankfully he didn't. So, you know, like, yeah. I'm not saying I'm an expert on music or anything, because I'm not. But if I could offer you one heartfelt piece of advice it would be that but I have to ask you though I mean like ultimately and I, I, I don't necessarily want to like you know get into graphic detail or nothing but I mean like with the prospect of like a second wave looming and with the government's just launching a mask campaign which I think is quite late in the day to be honest with you and like I see nobody fucking wear a mask out where I live I mean I guess just based on your own kind of first hand experience I mean like is there an element is there a danger of not taking this thing seriously even three months in because I know that like we like we're saying stuff here that you know at this stage has become so kind of like like it's almost like a rhetoric you know that like oh yeah we've heard it we've heard it we know it we know it but I just wonder if there's maybe a sense of you know extra kind of level that people haven't quite grasped yet it's it's a fatigue really isn't it you know in terms of we've done so well but um fatigue does kick in and it can very like likely um kick in like you know it's it's june now so you see the weather is getting the weather was great last month actually in may and you know there is that temptation to to go out and you know you're looking at the news and you're saying okay you know there's only so many infections today there's only, you know, only so many deaths there's no deaths whatever we can go back outside again we can we can resume normal life and uh, i get that look i understand it you know we've We've done so well. We've been ooh, so disciplined in terms of doing things differently over the last couple of months. But I was looking at one or two lectures there today and um, just to sort of refresh myself a wee bit because it's been it's been a couple of months since it all kicked off. And um, they're sort of finding out new things about this this virus every day. You know, we're, we're 100 days or more into uh, living with the coronavirus now at the minute and you know it's the thing with gigs and uh, it it breaks my heart as well with gigs and with football matches you know I tried watching the Bundesliga when it came back Borussia and Schalke and it just wasn't the same it just wasn't the same in an empty stadium you know but you can't do anything really differently because of the virus and the way it spreads, you know, it, it, it spreads by air droplet. It spreads when we talk. They're thinking now that it spreads even by singing. So you just imagine yourself being in a, in a large crowd at a gig and everyone's having this massive sing along to to whatever is being played up on stage. That that, you know, that could be a, a primary route of of transmission of the virus from one person to another. So 
Uh, sorry, that, that scenario, that's like a fucking episode of Fringe or something. You're just like, what? Like, like millions infected by going to like a Springsteen gig or something. It's yeah. like, Jesus. Such a weird... Because like, he encouraged yeah. the sing-along, you know, it's just, uh, yeah, it's... it's and he mad. would, that's what he does, man. That's what those shows are. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. It's a communal thing. If Queen, you know, if Freddie Mercury was still gone, I think we'd all be, be fucked, you know, in terms of, you know, call and response and that. But yeah, but I saw, I saw their... Leo just came out and he said that, you know, he reckons there could be gatherings of three or four thousand by um, September. That's just come out in the in the news there. So that's look, it's it's that's really encouraging. Is it also terrifying, though? Because, I mean, like, like this is the whole thing. I mean, Craig and I have been talking for weeks now, uh, as have other, you know, kind of arts columnists and and, and other podcasts and everything, because, I mean, it's very much the hot topic, right? I mean, it's like Dave Grohl penned this big open letter, like, like gigs are going to come back. You know, we know they will. They have to. We're human. We need them and we want them back. And we've said before that the prospect of going into like a three arena or whatever. And as you say, they're like a, you know, a modern day queen gig or something is just like, like initially uh, for me, it's a case of wait and see and maybe like other people can go first and maybe I'll I'll follow but at the same time you know like can you envision based on your own kind of I guess leanings as a musician and also what you've seen and, and like what you've experienced yourself directly over the last few months is it you know like because people are booking gigs now like I mean like friends of mine are booking gigs for next year the state's going up for next year and like that's great to see because people need that for income and you know like promoters like venues like this is a necessity we can't but at the same time, like I, I see these posters going up, I see these, I see these tweets, I see these whatever, and I'm like, it's all just one big fucking question mark, right? Until like a vaccine arrives, I suppose. But is there a sense of hope and a sense of like, ah, oh, now I just can see it being cancelled all over again? I mean, like, what is your gut telling you? Um, my gut is sort of telling me what you're saying there in terms of we haven't lived with it long enough to really work out how we can live with this virus. You know, we've only been living with it three months. So even in terms of, say, immunity to the virus, you know, when you when you get other viruses, you develop antibodies to the virus, which then, you know, these are molecules that become part of your immune system that then naturally fight off the infection down the line. And because we've only lived with COVID or coronavirus, whatever you want to call it, for three months, we only really know that we have that length of time that it might be, you know, give us immunity to this virus. So um, we have to just live with it for for longer to actually get a grasp of, you know, how long will we be immune to this? Will everyone be immune to it? We've there's antibody tests. What they're, what they're sort of realizing now is that not everyone who has got the the virus um, becomes instantaneously or automatically immune to it you know some people will develop antibodies for it others might not and um it's all it's all a work in in progress in terms of the work that they're doing at the national virology um institute there they're they're learning new things about this virus every day so it's it's and i've seen i've seen those gigs as well i've seen people booking gigs for october november early 2021 I honestly think it's still too early to, to actually see if, if 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 it's going to to work out. I I agree with you. I think it's it's sort of needed in a way, you know, because we need to try and get stimulus back into the industry. It's been such a long time now that people haven't had income, people haven't had gigs. 
it's also like a tangible it's a tangible goal to work towards it's something that you can kind of point to and say like yeah. this is on and of course you know like touch fucking wood you don't have to constantly keep rearranging or anything and like you know like I always say I'm not an optimist, I'm not a pessimist, I'm a realist. But I mean, <laughs> and that's obviously a bit of a cop-out. But yeah, I hope so, man. I mean, like, like I hope so. I really hope that we'll all fucking be at gigs again, you know, like with, within the next 12 months or less. But I don't know, it just it, it just seems like such a strange relearning. Like, 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 as you say, I mean, like, it's a bit understanding, it's a bit living with it. But at the same time, you know, like, it's frustrating because you just want to tell the thing to fuck off and I want to go see my Hamilton Lighthouser gig, you know, that's what I want to do. <laughs> yeah. And I'm not the only one. Yeah, <laughs> no, we're all the I'm same. the majority for once. We're all the same, you know, and it's weird because, um, like, culture, it's sort of nearly reshaped culture in a way in terms of there was a lot of talk going around that when it hit Italy and it hit Italy really bad, people were saying that maybe, you know, part of it's down to the way culture is over there in terms of, People are very touchy-feely, you know, they kiss each other on the cheek when they t- uh, introduce each other. A lot of generations sort of live in proximity to each other and that. So it was the way that their culture was that maybe had a factor in how badly they were affected by COVID. And it's definitely going to reshape our culture for the long term by basis of, of how the disease transmits. And unfortunately, any event that requires mass gatherings is going to be affected more so than anything else because the deadliest way of spreading the virus is getting a lot of people together in in close proximity. That's you know it, it, we've we've seen that in so many countries around the world um, how uh, the the infection was spread by maybe a mass gathering at a church or at a concert or. You know, we had Cheltenham across the pond and then, you know, the Liverpool Atletico Madrid game. You know, there were so many different factors. And I think we were, Leo got in just before the Paddy's Day weekend to to uh, to sort of call that off. And you just wonder how much worse could it have been if if that had actually gone ahead and with with the amount of tourists that would have come over and that. So, so yeah, I guess the uh, the moral of the story is see you at electric picnic 2021 maybe (laughs) like possibly yeah well do you know what look it's you know it's 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 nearly a year away i don't see it being unreasonable that you know that could go ahead i would and i'm i'm like you as well i'm not not well i am sort of an optimist but more of a realist than an optimist as well you like you have to call things out as they are like we just have to knuckle down and sort of stick with it and just learn to to live with it for the next short while and try and sort of be flexible and make changes as we see fit but only once we know that it's safe and I would be hopeful that maybe maybe this time next year for like it's it feels like such a long time away it's over a year away now you know the electric picnic but you know primavera you know, they announced the, the 2021 lineup there. So uh, you'd be hopeful that, you know, festivals next summer will, will go ahead because they've all been scrapped this year. So it's, you know, we've already had a, taken a big blow as it is. So, Well, time will tell, man. Jamie, I want to thank you so much for talking to us this week. I really do appreciate it, dude. Thank you. Cheers, Dave. Thanks very much. Thank you.
Thank you very much, Jamie. Once again, that's Jamie Adam. You'll get him on Spotify, Bandcamp, and other places. Support, you know, your non-live nation musicians. They need it now more than ever. Um, yeah. All right, so listen, no album review this week, Craig, because we were just like, this this new Jenny Beth album is certainly interesting, but I'm kind of not in the headspace, and I know we're going to have extra audio, and, you know, it just didn't really feel essential to do. We can talk about it more yeah. in the listening. I figure, like, you know, we can take a week off the album review. However, album review will definitely return next week, when we tackle the new Bob Dylan record. What's that young up-and-comer all about these days, eh? I'm very excited, yeah. Um, it's been, I think, eight years since we've got original Dylan uh, material in long-playing form. The cover art looks dreadful, as you would expect. I'm all in. <laughs> yeah, it's been popping up in lists like of best albums of the year so far from critics who have obviously had the chance to hear it in advance. So uh, I'm not as well-versed in Dylan as some others might be, so we might bring along some extra help next week, but we'll see. We'll see what happens. We might, yeah. Um, <laughs> as for this week, we will continue and press on with our top five. So it's best original video game music or, you know, I, at the same time, if if Craig has a thing on his list that is an existing song that was drafted in, I'm okay with that. Uh, this oh, thanks, was my man. idea, and it was <laughs> it was in honor of The Last of Us Two coming out of uh, the time that this episode is out. Really, I replayed The Last of Us there, the first one for the first time in forever. You're a big fan of that game, right? Why would you do that to yourself emotionally? <laughs> yeah, dude, I swear to God, broke my heart. I still remember <laughs> watching the final scene. No spoilers, <sighs> but yeah, stop. I'm erect just thinking about it. I actually there was there was a couple of moments in the game this time where like I just I fucking broke man there was like like and and that ending again I think it's such a fucking perfect ending yeah I was like weeping like a fucking baby at the end of it if you never played the last of us I highly encourage it um I'm very excited about the new one apparently it's fucking amazing so that's yeah that I figured that that was enough of a topical reason to get to this so um let's have a little taster uh under my voice as i speak right now of of kind of cool video game music like kind of energetic stuff and the kind of stuff there you go that's what i'm talking about yes that is of course from the original doom i think it's in the very very first level and just listen to it man like hang on it's gonna kick in now in just a second and it's fucking out of control amazing so here we go it's metallica man (laughs) that's instantly what i'm thinking so good i mean like the doom music has always had this kind of metal reverence i suppose and it carries on until the the modern era of it so yeah i figured i wasn't going to pick that one and i figured i could just throw that in as something of a kind of a something of a taster so with that in mind and uh, that's enough of that adam thank you um (laughs) (laughs) dave i couldn't hear any of that over all the doom and i'm not upset That's all right. Yeah, I felt like I was kind of like fighting against it, but you know, it's like like that's what that music does. That's what video game music does. What does video game music mean to you, Craig? Because I, I think I'm probably more of a gamer than you are. Am I? Is that fair? Uh, you would be these days, yeah. Although I've got into my sister got a Nintendo Switch for the old pandemic, and I've very much got into that of late. Uh, so I've got I've, I dip back in occasionally, um, but yeah, back in the day, I was a humongous gamer, uh, much in the way like I kind of developed my musical passions by like buying fucking copious amounts of magazines i was a big like cvg reader did you ever read that back in the day computer, computer video, video games, games magazine yeah i yeah. used to buy them all i used to Play. get all the playstation ones poured yeah. over them there were so many ones that were like borderline like nuts magazine just very oh, yeah. ladsy yeah, and i was reading as like a nine-year-old um but yeah when you play doom i remember when i got the playstation off santa slash my parents um my first game was tekken a few other games i had a demo of doom for the playstation which i wore out it was like two levels and i would play it constantly um so yeah it's for me 
video game music is a huge nostalgia rush. I won't go back that far though for the first one. For the first one, my number five choice, we'll just get it out of the way, will we? set me off all over again man yeah had to include it uh didn't want it like hanging over me <laughs> that was the last of us um gustavo santalaya i believe you pronounce it that way um the track was the path brackets a new beginning and yeah from those final closing moments in the credits i can still as i say remember where i was when i finished it where um, were you tell me all about it take me to i was place in, the, in i was in the living room i've actually been through it twice because my sister was a big uh the last was fan um, so I managed, I like, I, I, I made sure to check in when she was completing it and yeah, kind of broke her as well. She was saying now in terms of this inclusion that like the storyline is so good. It's actually so well acted that maybe we're overrating the music because she couldn't quite remember. I was like, no, it's just totally burnt onto my brain. Um, mm. and I, I have previous kind of form and a great love for, um, Gustavo's work. Uh, he's done, you know, lots of film soundtrack work, as you know, uh, Motorcycle Diaries, uh, Brokeback Mountain, which, you know, I also had my closers for films um, with The Wings um, being the song. And actually, weirdly, going back to it, the same final words spoken in both, more or less. It's just a simple, I swear, without giving too much away. Yeah, I fuck. think this works. I think this works really well because it is kind of, ambiguous and it's conflicted it's poignant it's kind of a to be continued thing the more i listen to it um yeah i was watching some interviews with him uh, about the kind of process it was his first video game and he was saying you know he got a huge amount of freedom um he loved the storyline um how could you not and he seems like a lovely bloke as well. I didn't know too much about him. But yeah, the whole soundtrack, I mean, you know, I could have picked about three or four tracks from throughout the soundtrack, but I had to go with that closing moment. Yeah, I won't spoil the game for anyone who hasn't played it yet, but yeah. the ending the ending has some, has some amb- uh, ambiguity to it. It's also just very beautiful. It's very simple. And that's, I think that's why I love it. I think, you know, it, it leaves you with questions and it's not even like, in a game that has moments of, of obviously high drama and, you know, kind of big action set pieces here and there, it ends on a human moment. It ends on this character moment and it ends with like, it's interesting because like, I find that like every now and then I, 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 I've gone onto YouTube and I've looked at that ending and I've just been like, oh my God, it's just like, uh, it's breaking my heart. Like, you know, uh, it, it's, I'm like, I'm like David Lynch when Angelo Badalamenti is composing the, <laughs> the theme and he's like, oh, oh, Angelo, it's breaking, you're breaking my, my heart. heart. <laughs> yeah. You're tearing my heart out. That is the greatest In absolute YouTube, raptures, <laughs> like halfway between just like transcendence and I guess having an orgasm. That's what I'm <laughs> if you've never um, seen yeah. Angelo Badalamenti explaining how he came up with the Twin Peaks theme tune, get onto YouTube. Maybe oh, it's the so greatest good. video on the, the internet. best tip but on no, YouTube. Yeah. With, with this, right? It's like um, having the experience of playing through the game again. And I kind of like, because like, I actually thought Last of Us Part Two was out last Friday, and I was like, here we. Oh fuck, it's not out. Okay, great. So I was like, okay, fine. I'll finally go back and play and replay the first one from start to finish. And I kind of dropped the difficulty down to normal because I'm a coward and I wanted to just experience the story in time for this week. But I didn't realize that by like Monday night, I'd be ready to wrap it up and uh, I found myself like at about 
I think between midnight and 1am and I was just sitting in my room, headphones on, lights off, obviously, getting to the ending and just getting ready for it. And it's just, it still hits, man. I was genuinely sitting there in fucking tears. But it's that kind of like earned, like cathartic release thing of just being like, this is so affecting and so beautiful and so poignant and the way that the music just like creeps up and comes yeah. up in the soundtrack Shimmering. is perfect and, uh, it's so as you perfect. say it doesn't over egg it like it's it's completely like a masterclass in minimalism as it is throughout the game so yeah totally works Daver yeah, give okay, us your uh, number five well, it's 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 it, in the opposite of poignancy, the opposite of <laughs> any kind of emotional reaction, but just an out and out banger. I mean, come on. That is, of course, uh, Guile. Guile's, Guile's theme. theme. <laughs> Guile's theme from Street Fighter 2. That's actually taken from, like, I think it's like Super Street Fighter 2 Turbo on the 3DO or something. So I've gone for the hipster version, a console I've never even played, a version I've never even seen. Uh, there are many, many versions of the Guile theme out there, but they keep the same arrangement, uh, including an incredible acapella one by some guy who did, like, all this fucking amazing overlays, which if you just YouTube it, you'll get it straight away. Um, yeah, it's the kind of thing that makes you want to go and compete in a weird international tournament with cartoon characters and hope that Jean-Claude Van Damme will play you someday despite the fact that you're the picture of American military alpha brilliance. Um, yeah. It's just, it doesn't get boring and proof of it not getting boring is I remember one day there's like Guile theme for 10 hours on YouTube or something and I remember just sticking it on one day for about two hours and I was just like, I'm not turning it off. It's just... It, like last week in the in the football episode, and by the way, the amount of fucking people, including in my own house, who have now become obsessed with the Zinedine Zidane song, um, it's like that level in of that ilk. epic yeah. anime, you know, heroic, like fucking bombast and ridiculousness uh ballyhoo fucking fireworks everything it's all in this um i think you know ultimately there's like plenty of great music in the street fighter series and you know in, in the tekken games as well but i think if, if you're gonna pick one signature thing for one signature fighter or whatever it's this and also um I, with this top five, I very much kind of went with my gut and I very much pulled the shutters down early doors to be like, I was like, no, no, these are these are going in. I can't even consider other things. And even though once again on Twitter, I got a ton of fucking amazing responses as always. I will say that like, um, I had, I had Metal Gear uh, Solid 3 Snake Eater theme in my top five and I, I took it out for Guile because I was like, as amazing as the Snake Eater theme is, as incredible a riff on James Bond films of uh, like, like of the past it is and how ridiculously knowing and all that kind of Kojima bullshit is, I couldn't argue with the Guile theme. It's too strong. It's fucking bulletproof. Are you worried that it maybe insists upon itself, Dave? <laughs> now, do you know what I'm going <laughs> to... Do you know what I'm going to use? I'm going to use the word text. I haven't used that for a few episodes, but this feels like the kind of DNA of so many like um, fighting games themes. Like this is like the kind of granddaddy, like all of that. Oh, Street Fighter 2, 
I remember my older cousin Sean had a Super Nintendo before I, I had one or had a PlayStation. I never actually was really a Nintendo guy until the Switch. Um, and he would just constantly beat me, come up to Dublin and beat me at this game. And I remember all the tunes. They're so well written. Um, they're so good. So evocative. Um, see if you can tell what this is, Dave. Yeah, oh my god, I was, crossover. I, crossover. I'm glad Jackson. I picked a different clip. I have the original as well, but I, I think two versions is probably enough for one show. <laughs> it is, of course, Guile's theme. Guile's theme? <laughs> it's iconic. Yeah, it had to be in there. Um, it's so American as well. Like, when you read about it online, it's just the amount of people saying, like, it's kind of great that the Japanese wrote the quintessential American anthem. It should be their national anthem. It's kind of like the melody sequence is you know tom cruise's dna sequence along with like i don't know the fucking code for fourth of july or whatever um the level setting as well works so well i was reading some quotes from uh yoko shimamura um she's the composer behind most of street fighters like most famous themes um she seems totally awesome she kind of gave great answers about how she would get into the characters heads and use the stages to kind of come up with themes that weren't too cliche and she talks kind of about you know Chun-Li's anthem and stuff uh, she could have just gone with some like you know uh, girl pop idol music but she was looking at like the marketplace stage and she did something quite different in Chinese and um, so you can kind of tell from just like her comments how she came up with this genius she also talks about why the melody line is slightly off kilter and um, weird and she thinks that's part of the success but yeah had to be included it was the one that was just like well this is like when you think of video games, I agree with you about the Zidane thing. Like, this seems like the starting point for so many of those exhilarating anthems. So, yeah, that's my number four. This also feels like it could have been in The Last of Us. Like, if Ellie picked up the oh, guitar. Oh, yeah. With the, yeah, <laughs> like yeah. It has that kind so of malleable. Like, the melody, will you can play it on anything, mate. Yeah. I mean, listen, we don't cross over too often, but I'm glad that it happened in that kind of unique way. So, as for me, my next one sounds a bit like this. of course that is the mighty health one of my favorite bands ever and mm. previous guests of this show in fact they were on episode 169 when we spoke to frontman jake Dusick when they were over in dublin last year go check that out if you haven't and the song is called tears it comes from their soundtrack for max Payne 3 which came out in i want to say 2012 or so and yeah they they, they constructed the whole soundtrack they've talked about it quite a lot they talked about it on no encore actually as well um, and yeah. and yeah it's just very evocative this song plays towards the end of the game during kind of an extended shootout set piece in an airport and i remember just being transfixed i actually remember very very vividly when this game came out because if i have my like if i have my kind of my my brain right here i think I think the day after you and I went to see Stuart Lee in Vicar Street, and I would have yes. crashed in your gaff in Kildare, 
And I remember the next day getting the bus back into town, you going to work, me going to see the Raid Redemption in Cineworld at like midday <laughs> yeah, or something. I remember One that. of the most incredible action films of all time. Leaving the cinema, buying Max Payne 3, going back to Drada and playing Max Payne 3 for about like seven hours straight. It was one of the most incredible pop culture, it's like a brilliant 24 hours. <laughs> yeah, it was, like, it was just and that's just your league. <laughs> <laughs> like, and uh, yeah, it's... Uh, the Max Payne games, of course, emerged on the in the PlayStation Two era, and they were these like gritty noir esque kind of nightmare horror bullet time infused video game, like very cheesy in a knowing way, and you know developed a huge cult following. And the second one was kind of more of the same, and then it seemed like it was all over. Then Rockstar, I guess, got involved, the Grand Theft Auto guys, and you got this look at like a new Max Payne in which the, the, he was like shaved bald and he was wearing a Hawaiian shirt and he's in like the favelas of Brazil. What's going on? And the game itself turned out to be something of a triumph in terms of, a, again, obviously very knowing, very hard boiled cliche narrative way, but it was incredibly rich and evocative and fun to play. The story was cool. It was like every 80s action film you've ever seen, the good ones in the form of a video game. <laughs> And health soundtrack, which is there throughout, it just has this extremely wonderful undertone to the whole thing. And so, yeah, I'm basically nominating the entire soundtrack, but Tears, this track that appears towards the end, is just so irresistible and so powerful. And yeah, I mean, listen, I'm never going to I'm never gonna not rep them. They're one of my favorite bands. I think that they should be so much bigger. They're amazing. And go check them out. Interesting. How do you feel about, like, well, obviously you feel very positively about known bands and known quantities getting involved in the video games world. Because as I was listening to stuff, I was like, there's some great songs, particularly in recent times, but you're now into the realms of video games are so big budget and realistic that it's like kind of film scores. You're losing, unless it's indie games, some of that kind of quintessential like 8-bit stuff or kind of limited synth things that really for me, felt like the most evocative. Do you know what I mean? It, it comes into this wider world of just films and cutscenes. And you, I think maybe you lose something, right? Just in terms of this this very unique computer world that you dip into. Well, yeah, I think that's more of a wider point about modern games, I suppose. Unless the game itself is like deliberately a throwback game in kind of a knowing retro style. Yeah, yeah. You're unlikely to get a retro soundtrack attached to it. I mean, I'm all for it. I, th- I think if the right collaborator is there, I would like, I think Health of Stint's done some stuff for like Grand Theft Auto Online, but I would love for them to like, you know, let's say for example, like that fucking cancelled Silent Hill project came back or something. I'd be like, get health on that soundtrack, man. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, involved. yeah. I, think, and I, actually, I would love to see like a Resner Ross type thing, you know, in terms of like, musicians going into this almost full time and you know while also juggling what they do I, you know i think there's a lot of scope i think also me like like so many artists are like even like bedroom artists now where it's like there's a weird kind of union there maybe you don't need a giant studio in some cases you just need fucking creativity and application and particularly in the like in that case where i think that was really in the era where you know, PlayStation was going very dark, gritty. There was lots of industrial stuff just on kind of, you know, your average game. So getting in, you know, some of the big guns to do the kind of genuine article totally, totally works. And yeah, that's the a big great thing tune. as well, though. I think the big thing as well that really helped is that like the health guys are big into video games and um, cool. like they're always tweeting about it. Like, you know, they've had some hilarious takes about the, the amazing game Sekiro and that kind of stuff. So I think if you have people involved who have a passion for you know, the the medium and passion for the genre and, and that kind of stuff, it, it's only going to lead to something really, really good and really, really special. And that's what this is. And this soundtrack also kind of stands alone as well, I think. So well worth checking out if you never have. Nice. Okay, my number three, we're going back to 1997. Let's try some role play, Dave. <laughs> 
That's uh, taken from Final Fantasy VII, um, a game by Square, came out in 1997, um, from the composer Nobu um, Umatsu, um, who I think did Fucking all the Final Fantasy genius. stuff. Genius, absolute yeah. genius. Um, up to about 10, I don't know if he's still involved, but certainly he was solely kind of doing all the scores right up to about 10. Uh, this is a bit of a like hipster deep cut, I think. I would like to think, because obviously, you know, Final Fantasy VII is the go-to game for people that are even tangentially into games to be like, oh yeah, that had a huge impact on me. It did have a huge impact on me when it came out, even before it came out. I do remember pouring over like magazine fucking screenshots of like the gold saucer and stuff and being like, what? This is an entire world? You can race fucking chocobos or whatever they were <laughs> and being the most hyped I ever was. Um, and the game didn't disappoint whatsoever. This is dear to the heart. Um, it's not Earth's theme, which I think is the one that gets the most shouts, uh, which is painfully beautiful. It's great. Um, but this is more kind of like in between scenes i think this was actually displayed once you like left the gang behind and went into the open world a bit more it incorporates like tifa's theme as well i was more of a tifa head than erish i've got to say dave i don't know about you controversial craig very controversial statement there (laughs) i know this has a kind of early rock and roll vibe to it as well just in terms of the notes being played if you know it's like a buddy holly ballad um or something could transpose the scent. Or maybe even James Marshall from Twin Peaks doing you and I. <laughs> like it's got that oh, kind wow. of yeah, 50s Jesus. throwback do woppy thing. But yeah, it's 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 so good and what a composer. Like he's I think probably doesn't get the credit he deserves because of maybe the medium he's working in, maybe these days, um, because you know it's it's getting a bit more acclaim. But certainly, if you look at the breadth of his work, um, and I would have been into Final Fantasy from seven right up to 10 maybe some great stuff on all of those but right across um all the catalog tremendous work towering work yeah some people even argue that his best work came in, in like six and, and and other ones before this one but this of course was the most mainstream the big one yeah listen like you know i've talked about final fantasy 7 before i was an absolutely huge fan i had the fucking guide you know i, I had the same magazines. I, had the gu- it, I had a few a guides huge, <laughs> huge seminal moment but um i will say this i mean like you know i understand that some people would be like oh what an obvious choice you know it's a bit yeah. of a cliched pick and it is and also to be fair you know listen to be honest i feel like i've i've really said all i can really say about final fantasy 7 so let's just go on to my next one I'd leave it out saying goodbye, did you, Craig? <laughs> yes, it is, of course, Eretz theme from Final Fantasy VII composer Nobu Umatsu. Uh, yes, uh, as, as noted, I'm, I'm more of an Eretz guy myself. And, of course, if anyone has <laughs> somehow is unaware, it's like the most famous death in video game history. Spoiler for a video game from 1997. Um, yeah, I don't know. How was it for you when that moment occurred and this music was playing? The floating. It's just the most emotional thing to ever happen to a fucking 12 or 13 year old yeah but what was i i was i was like nine um it was kind of overwhelming at the time i think um which is it's probably still too painful for me to go back to to be quite honest um so you're not gonna I play didn't the remake go no? back i was gonna say did you um yeah, because I, it, yeah. I remember getting very excited about it and i just never went back um but maybe i should 
So you know Maybe that it's like... um you know that it's like it's like the first part. It's everything in Midgar without expanded, so it's not the full game that you played before. You know that, right? No, I did not know that. Yeah, they're gonna release it like episodically. So um <laughs> I would recommend it. Um it's definitely like it's they've added a lot more to it. So it's it's that whole kind of run, which was like six hours in the first game, and it's like about probably like about forty hours this time around or more. Um it's got some problems, but the graphics are unbelievable. The gameplay is fantastic. And also the soundtrack is there again, but it's updated and redone. So it's Nobu Uematsu again oh. and doing reworks of the tracks. And like there's one in particular later on in the game, because you could have picked like the Genova theme. Like you fight like a Genova version. And when you get to like the third stage of the battle, because the battles are all staged, like the fucking proper kick-in kicks in and you're just like this is the greatest thing ever so yeah i mean listen i mean like final fantasy 7 and- is cited so often that i know people are almost kind of rolling their eyes about it but and as is like any kind of discussion on Aerith, but i just i mean like there's just something unbelievably powerful in this one from the fucking individual piano notes to the kind of rising choral thing that you have there the association it has with like everyone's favorite fucking video game character girlfriend thing even though you know i've never not everyone's (laughs) i've never understood the fancying a video game character thing i've never understood like the lara croft bullshit or anything but like i can understand why a generation of confused uh young men uh fell for Aerith because she's this kind of you know I guess she's like this dream archetype thing at the time. And also, Craig. Yeah, it's part like girl next door, part kind of magical. Yeah. And it's also as well, there's a bit of a fucking weird thing here where it's like she gets fucking murdered. So it's like the whole heroic sacrifice thing for the it's man to go Laura on Palmer. Blah, 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 blah. Yeah, it's Laura. She's Laura Palmer. She's the Laura Palmer of, of Japanese video games. Um, no, it's a good character and it's like fleshed out amazingly by music like this. And all of the music in that game is amazing. But again... Like, I figure we're going to do another one of these lists on video games again at some point. Uh, I know someone tweeted at me during the week being like, Final Fantasy should probably just be fucking disqualified. And I totally get it. But I think to not include it would just be ridiculous because it still affects me all these years on. I think it's just a a unique, singular piece of poignant brilliance. And it works Yeah, totally. Yeah, well, like, but this list, I think you you said to me you were going with your gut. I I did the same. I had some f- tremendous kind of choices and stuff, but it was just I had to go with the stuff that it, like felt most personal to me. Um, with that said, I'm going more up to date with my next one. Uh, independent, something I've been playing in recent months, and it knocked my socks off in terms of the soundtrack. Taken from Celeste, uh, the song is Resurrections. Picking that clip was, this is how much I like it. it I had the same struggles I had with uh, Teenage Riot, Sonic Youth's opener to <laughs> Daydream Nation, where I was like, I need the kind of fucking incredible drop. I need to somehow, do I edit it in such a way I'm cramming in loads of stuff? Um, this is a Nintendo Switch game. It's kind of like an 8-bit throwback. Uh, it's an independence game developed by Matt Thorson and Noel, or Noel Berry. I uh, came out a couple of years ago. Um, it was the first game I played for Nintendo Switch because the games didn't arrive on time. 
console arrived first. So it was like 20 quid on the store. And so good. It's it's like fiendishly difficult. I think I died like 5,000 times, something like that in the realms of that. But like, it's just, it's just enough that you keep doing it. Um, I love a kind of platformer as well. And the music, uh, Lena Rain, I think did it. She's now kind of gone on to do stuff for like Minecraft and her kind of career is totally blown up because of it. Um, the whole soundtrack is brilliant. It kind of shifts and morphs depending on what you're doing. Um, there's like B-side and C-side levels where you can kind of gain access to better kind of art twists on the music. Um, the creators talked about how as the soundtrack was coming in, they had to like rewrite the script of the game and kind of rework the levels because they were inspired by what was musically going on. And I think you can totally hear that. So the basic gist of the game is you're playing as this like Madeline character who is basically just like your standard millennial with like kind of trying to juggle modern life so she's like do you know what i'm gonna do i'm gonna climb a mountain because i just have to climb it for myself <laughs> to prove it to myself and she like bumps into a dude called theo who's like all about the gram and she's hanging out with him and then like her all of her self-doubt becomes personified as like battling and you're being at that moment in the song you're being chased by this kind of like all of your worst fears it's just really well scripted it's funny and knowing as well and yeah the music's great throughout this sounds amazing. I haven't played the game. I've seen people rave about it. And I must, yeah, because I even like that. the way you're describing it, like dying a bunch of times and kind of continuing with it, just reminds me of Dead Cells, a game that I've been playing for yeah. fucking ever. If you haven't played Dead Cells, by the way, Craig, it's like 20 quid or something. I think you'll love it. It's so replayable. Okay, and it's so like, you know, you move with the game, the, level, the levels of difficulty kind of make sense. It, it's really, really impressive. The levels are always kind of redesigned slightly as well and shuffled up a bit. Uh, yeah, this sounds very much in the same wavelength. Um, obviously an indie game as well. It's, yeah, it's something I'm definitely going to get to. And I'm almost kind of raging now that like Last of Us is out in a few hours because I'm like, obviously nothing's getting in the way of that. But yes, yeah, I yeah. presume this is available on the PS4. I, I, I think it might be. If it is, I'll get it. If not. It must uh, be. Fingers not, crossed. Can I, uh, can I borrow your Switch? It's all over. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wait, you can't stall over. There's a pandemic. In a couple, in a couple <laughs> of weeks, I can. We'll figure something out. Um, Just yeah, try no, I think and you'd stop love it. me. I think you'd love it. <laughs> Okay, uh, number two for me is one where I actually developed a bit of a superstition with this thing where um, on the rare times I would I, I would fly, I would take air travel uh, for I don't know what like, I don't know where this came from. But like for a time I had this thing where like I had to like play like a certain song in my headphones as soon as you could put your electronic equipment back on as soon as we hit the clouds and if I didn't play this certain song the whole plane would crash and everybody would die and for a while um, it was 65 Days of Static Safe Passage which is a fucking amazing <laughs> track and then <laughs> and then um, I think I think I think I didn't have that one day or something or maybe this came on instead and ever since then Craig my ritual now whenever I do fly whenever we hit the clouds I have to hear this again otherwise everyone's in serious jeopardy
That is, of course, the towering, the magnificent, the unstoppable, brilliant, amazing opening theme from Streets of Rage 2, which emerged, oh. at, you know, I think in Japan in 92 and then Europe and the rest of the world in 93. The composers are Yuzo Koshiro and Motohiro uh, Kawashima. And I believe both guys have said before in interviews that, like, with the soundtrack, and again, this is me nominating the whole soundtrack because the Streets of Rage music is genuinely iconic. And I know that that's the word that everyone uses, but it really fucking is. Um, I think they've said before that they owe a great debt to like UK garage music and like early kind of 90s just British kind of the cool stuff that was like bubbling in the underground and I think there's a you can hear almost traces there of like parts of this could sound like it was on Mezzanine by Massive Attack right like there's just I was gonna say Safe From Harm that is like it's very similar (laughs) to like a Safe From Harm or something it's fucking just as good well maybe it's so good yeah it's so powerful. It's just so cool. It's it's it kind of in a class of its own. And again, it's that thing where it's like, like a fucking Mega Drive game when you're like ten or whatever, or, or like it's not it's not supposed to be that cool, right? It's not supposed to have that level extra level of transcendence. It's a fucking beat 'em up arcade game, and yet in the background you have this entire subculture in the form of the unbelievably cool soundtrack, just like so well put together, so different. Like like those levels all sound crazy different, crazy unique. And yeah, it's the ultimate cliche of like, oh, New York City is like a character in and of itself. But the music <laughs> is genuinely, it should be a fucking selectable character in the game, right? I mean, it's its that good. It's up there with Aphex Twins selected ambient works. Um, <laughs> it's so good, yeah. Like, it's all on YouTube. Uh, it was kind of on my short list and I was listening through it and I'm going to be downloading the whole thing and just like walking the streets listening to it. <laughs> because I, I, I forgot, I kind of had forgotten about it. It was another game where, like, as you say, it was Mega Drive. So I remember like playing it in friends' houses. So it was... It had that extra kind of like exotic element of it was never my game. I only got kind of snatches of it every, you know, every so often. Um, so that was a strong memory, Streets of Rage 2. It's like right up there with um, being in like fucking Lanzarote on holidays and my dad taking me every day to the arcades to p- play Tekken 3 before I came out. and <laughs> Just playing it for like half an hour and being like, yes, this is so good. <laughs> um, yeah, so fond memories. An amazing choice, Dave. Amazing. Thank you, okay. sir. Here's another memory for my number one. Again, going with my gut. So the first time I ever heard this, it was watching a real player trailer on a dial-up connection, um, just eking out frames and pixels over the course of like maybe two hours for a 30-second clip of a hooded figure walking across a bridge uh, lo- smoking a cigarette and then diving off it. I stay at the stars and the sky up above and think what am I made of? Am I full of sorrow? Am I hurt and pain? Metal Gear Solid 2, Sons of Liberty. Uh, the track the is Can't one, Say Goodbye <laughs> to Yesterday. Um, people were very upset when it came out um, because you're playing as Raiden for like most of the game. Um, but yeah, this is actually the closing uh, music 
but it was used in the trailer. So I remember hearing it and like not having a clue how to figure out what the song was or who it was by. It was Rika Muranaka, uh, obviously writing it, uh, Carla White singing it. And it is like very kind of um, like loungy jazz cocktail kind of, you know, um, gin soaked, cigarette smoked, smoked fucking Bond theme-esque. Um, it, it's kind of a Homer Simpson staring into the night sky moment for me. Like it's just, particularly at the end of the game then when you play it, where you're just like, what the fuck just happened? Oh, <laughs> what? Yeah. It's all, uh, you know what I mean? And it has that thing of just like, oh, it's it's quite, it's like the futility of existence or something. <laughs> and I guess this is 2001. So yeah, I'm like, whatever, 12 or 13 playing it. Um, I could have picked so many Metal Gear Solid songs just from throughout the series. Um, obviously you have so many greats in the first game, which was probably my favorite. Um, and that moment on the bridge, that opening moment, the actual music was used by an artist that we know and love, uh, to create a song. It's probably better than anything on this list. I stumbled across its usage. I totally forgot the sample, uh, on you, on YouTube. I'm just going to play a clip of it. You can see the transformation and it's like, this game also gave the world this song, so it's worth hearing. It's such a cool morph. Burial user for Archangel, uh, so along with Ray, Ray J's syrupy R&B. <laughs> what a masterpiece. Uh, what incredible. a good usage. Just enhances it totally. But yeah, uh, Metal Gear Solid as a series, or Metal Gear Solid as a game and the entire series up to about, I guess, my mid-teens was huge for me. Um, more than a game, to paraphrase Barcelona. Oh yeah, no, I'm with you. Um, Mess Kayun game. Yeah, no, it's very much like, uh, I remember like getting Sons of Liberty. It was one of the first games I would have got for the PS2. And, oh man, I was obsessed with this game. I played it religiously. I could not stop. I loved the narrative. I I, I didn't have a problem whatsoever with the fake out. You know, after Act 1, you're now playing. Yeah, no, I loved it. Riding this, you know, like <laughs> whiny fucking bleach blonde dude. I just thought it was so, like, it's... I, I I surrendered to all of it. I just thought it was like like the story was unbelievable. The characters were so outlandish. I loved the first Metal Gear Solid as well, and I thought it was just genius. And I remember like getting to the ending and like that final boss fight is is so fucking cool. I remember like playing it again, like similar to Last of Us. Similar to like some of the best games I ever played. Like I tend to finish them at like four in the morning or something. And yeah, again, yeah, you're just so shaken, and you're like, can I have the next game now, please? And then of course, like Snake Eater arrives in two thousand and four, and it's set in the sixties. Great as well. Um you know like to, like so you're not getting like the conclusion of that narrative or whatever uh and i think in recent games you know four and five while they're still great they de- they didn't quite have the same impact in that first three as a trilogy are kind of perfect uh i love it and yeah it's so evocative and perfect and i i really did struggle over having a metal gear solid representation in this list so i'm very very glad craig that you uh you brought it nice. this week. So there was a nice anecdote you. as well from uh, you're more than welcome from rika Murnaka talking about how um for the first game uh, Hideo uh, Kojima had been like, I don't want any of the songs to have like lyrics I can recognize. 
And she came to him being like, well, I, I can um, write them in Gaelic if you want. And he's like, what's Gaelic? And actually, yeah, the best is yet to come, which closes Metal Gear Solid, is in Irish, which I totally forgot. And I don't think I even recognised at the time, but that's a, another I little fact was, over um, here. I think it was recorded in Grace Lodge as well, possibly. There's been some stuff written about that before. Um, also, okay. I should say that like uh, Hideo's most recent project, Death Stranding, which, of course, on this very podcast feed, Dahi and I did a spoiler special on. Uh, the theme yes. song, which Churches did, is one of my favourite songs of last year, and it was this close to being in my Songs of the Year. Uh, songs of the Year from last year episode coming soon, by the way. We haven't forgotten. There's just been lots of life stuff coming in the way, so give me like a couple of weeks and I'll have it for you, I promise. Uh, for Patreon people, patreon.com slash noencore. However, it's time for my number one, Craig, and... Uh, I actually, I also have a couple of audio drops prepared for you here. I'll give you the first one from the first game, because this is two games in one, and definitely a bit of a tempo change, so let's do it. Miami Disco, the act is Perturbator, and it's taken from Hotline Miami, the original Hotline Miami, of course. Have you played the Hotline Miami games, Craig? Yeah, I downloaded, I guess, the first one, was really into it. It was actually, do you know what, it was on the strength of all the recommendations around the soundtrack. <laughs> like, the soundtrack kind of preceded it for a lot of people, um, because it arrived at a time when obviously that synth stuff was back in vogue, and it does it so, so well. Immaculate soundtrack. Yeah, so anyone who doesn't know the Hotline Miami game is made by an indie developer from Sweden, Denaton, and Devolver Digital. And essentially, um, top-down, retro-style arcade, super violent, very clearly inspired by the likes of Drive. You play this kind mm. of hitman, uh, ultra-violent, like I say, but done in this kind of very cartoonish, knowing way. Um, it's all about the aesthetic. It's all about that kind of, you know, burned screen VHS thing, and it's a conspiracy yeah. story. Uh, it, it's a short enough playthrough as well. Like, there's, you know, only like 15 or 16 levels or whatever. And again, and you can get it on the cheap at the moment so there's really no excuse um, but the aesthetic is such a huge selling point of it and I remember again seeing some of the, the screenshots in magazines when it was a PC only game for a while or whatever and I was like for fuck's sake I desperately want to play this and when it finally kind of hit the PS3 or PS4 I was like this is unreal a sequel would arrive a few years later um, Hotline Miami 2 and we'll take a blast from that one now is Untitled 2 by The Green Kingdom. I wanted to kind of have the contrast there of the first track with the second one because for every absolutely pulsating neon-drenched belter, you do have these kind of lengthy, introspective, loopy, kind of strange, emotional night walks in there because the game yeah, itself, it's I mean, like, it, it's more than just, it's more than just a game, but it's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's more than just like a, you know, fast-paced, coked-out shooter. It, it does have this weird existentialism going on there. Like, the Yeah, I mean, the coke prices. wears off eventually, Dave, as we we know <laughs> <laughs> as we know so well but no it does have these kind of moments of like questioning the self and the soul and i think with the tracks like with tracks like that one and with some of the ones from the first one as well that are just like i say quite quite repetitive but in a way that does manage to kind of hypnotize you um it really does have these things at every turn like it's just so 
I, I, I'm, I need a new word for evocative. You got one? Do you have a new word for evocative? No, because I've Immer- used immersive. evocative. Like, let's free- go with immersive. Yeah. Okay, cool. <laughs> like, but it is like, like it's such a fucking deep dive. It, like, it's got such a weird kind of feeling to it. Like, and it's, and it's, it's quite sad. Like, it's not a heroic experience. Um, there's something to it. Like, it, it just kind of is. It, it does take me somewhere else when I play them. And I've played through one and two um, several times. I, and I did so quite recently again. And yeah, like they're 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 kind of heavy. Um, like it's not a sunshine game, but the music and the fucking the way it looks, the way it feels, is kind of like nothing else out there. I don't know if there's ever going to be a third one. I get the sense that they don't want to do a third one, but I would totally welcome one. Um, and yeah, so listen, um, for, for as a special kind of postscript this week, I uh-huh. had a chat. <laughs> do you remember? Because um, you would have interviewed these guys, actually. Do you remember uh, a Dublin band, uh, young pretenders, you know, young hopefuls? Uh, Fonda synths and, and guitars and all that kind of jazz back in the in the mid tens. Do you remember a band called Van Music, Craig? I do. The Van Boys, of course. The Tearing Van across Boys. the country, playing every festival we happened to be at. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> fond memories. <laughs> So, um, of course, uh, their frontman, A. Smith, has gone on to repurpose himself as a solo act. He's a former guest of this show, uh, worth mm-hmm. checking out his music. Also, we're checking out the music of Ross Fortune, who trades under the name of Benny Smiles. We talked about him on the show recently in the other listening section. So, get this, man. He's got a track in fucking Hotline Miami, too. Did you know that? That's insane. That's insane. That's better than winning, like, a Grammy <laughs> for me. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, so I, I like I, I, found, I found it kind of fascinating that that was that that connection was there, and so I I called him up this week. He's based in London. I had a chat with him, and uh, yeah, why don't we why don't we have a listen to that now? Delighted to be joined on No Encore by someone who was involved in the Hotline Miami soundtrack to a degree. It's Ross Fortune. You'll know his work as Benny Smiles. We've talked about him on the show previously. Welcome to the show, man. How the hell are you? I'm pretty good. Thank you, Dave. Yeah, I'm doing good. Are you keeping well? I'm okay. Yeah, it's been a week. It's always a week these days. So yeah, as a spouse there, I'm a big Hotline Miami fan. Both games. I've played them both several times. A huge part of why I love them is uh, what they look and sound like. And you ended up in the second game with a fairly prominent enough tune in there. Uh, how did the, all this come about for you? Because it's, it, their artist selection process is quite interesting, even though I don't really know much about it. Yeah, I, mean, I don't know how they paired up with the other artists. My, my story personally was that uh, I had been playing the first game Hotline Miami 1 and um, yeah I just happened to be working on a track totally independent from that that I thought would fit really well in the game so uh, I got a little bit of screen capture from like some in-game screen capture and then I stuck my song behind it and I found an email address for the guys at Denaton they're the developers Um, yeah emailed it to them and asked kind of innocently whether I could use it for my portfolio. I was I was doing a little bit of uh, work in video games music at the time and they got back. I mean, it was totally, yeah, I knew I was chancing my arm to try and get into the second game. But uh, yeah, they got back and said I could use it for the portfolio and uh, asked if I would license it for the second game. So that's how, that's how that came about for me. That's fucking unreal. And was this all the email or did you have any kind of, you know, fun Zoom based call like this one? No, not at all. I've never met them. Just just by emails. Yeah. 
I mean, that's such a weird, like, like I, I think in that situation, like, it's it's almost dream come true level because, like, you're a fan of the first game, right? So, totally. you know, to, yeah, to be yeah. involved at all is cool. So <laughs> yeah. there must be an element of, like, hang on a second. Like, is this guy just fucking taking the piss or is this actually going to happen? Yeah, no, it's like, fuck me, back of the net. In fact, they actually, I sent them two tracks and they asked could they take them both. Uh, as it turned out, they didn't have a space for the second one. They thought they liked the track, but then they, they just didn't work out to be a a level or a or a scene where it would have worked but i mean fucking one out of two ain't bad <laughs> that was pretty good so <laughs> hang on i mean like what like how much of a turnaround was there then between this happening and then the game being in your hand and you hearing it for the first time oh man so this is quite a while ago i guess i probably would have made the song in 2014 and uh maybe within six months i, I can't really remember the details there's a little bit of back and forth with their publishers and signing contracts and that sort of stuff um, yeah, it was probably the guts of a few months. And in that time, actually, this, the whole soundtrack was leaked. I don't know how it happened, but someone wound up on YouTube with, with my track. And by the time I noticed, it had already been played something like half a million times before the game came out, which is fucking wild. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so it's kind of like scrambling to... I don't know. I never bothered trying to get them to take it down because I thought, fuck it, it's just good advertising, really. Um, so that's out there. It's the that was the version, the very version that I sent to Denaton, and I later when they accepted it, I kind of gave it a little bit of a spit shine and mixed it properly and uh, and had it mastered and then sent that back. But yeah, the unfinished work is floating around on the internet. <laughs> Which again, it, it adds another level of kind of Frank Ocean charm to the whole thing. I mean, there was never any suspicion that you were behind the leak, was there, or anything? It was totally innocent. I'm, I mean, definitely on my part, it was totally innocent. Yeah, I did later discover actually that I'd uh, uploaded it publicly to my YouTube to send to Denaton to ask it. I use it for the portfolio. But I mean, who's looking at my Ross Fortune YouTube? No, nobody is looking at my Ross Fortune. Well, YouTube. you never know, man. I mean, but but still, even then, like that probably presents its own kind of like horror of like, oh, fuck, what if they just change things? Like, what if they're the kind of gaming studio to be like, oh, no, it's out there now. We have to rejig. So take me to like, the moment when you first played the game. I Did you get a free copy or did you have to download it like like the rest of us? We, we got free copies and uh, and discounts. But just what you're saying, they're the kind of de- developer that might change it. They're the kind of, they're just two dudes working at that time, I mean, they probably live in mansions now, but uh, they were just working in their apartments in Sweden, just putting the things together <clears throat> for the love of it. And there was some plot line in the second game that involved sexual assault, I think, uh, and they got some criticism for that. So I think it was in Australia, the ratings board banned the game, so it wasn't available for release, and they publicly stated that if you're in Australia and you want to play it, you should go and torrent it. So I don't think they're kind of the kind of developers that would really be bothered about that. Jesus. <laughs> but so, yeah, uh, me playing the game. Do you know what, man? I never got to the level that I did. I just couldn't get past a certain point in it. And then I was like, I can't, I can't be spending this much time just playing video games when I should be working on music. Oh my God, so come I on. Actually, I've never played the level that I did. <laughs> I didn't complete the game. I've never played the level. Uh, yeah, if someone has like, a cheat code to how I could just jump to that level, that would be nice. I'd li- I would like to play it. Jesus. Okay, so yeah, if you play through the game, as I have several times, you know, like you can then select the level. So next time you're over here, next time you're back in Ireland, just come around to my gaff and you can oh, wow. you can have a go. Because like, oh, wow. cause like, like <laughs> I, I actually, I played through both of them recently again because they are like, if, if enough time passes, you'll just 
blast through them again and you get lost in that kind of world and it's obviously they're short enough games um and i'm trying to recall like specifically where your where your one comes in because obviously like it's it's, it's called hotline miami theme hotline miami 2 theme and i think it does in fact have like fairly prominent placement uh, at a pivotal stage of the game so i can't believe that you haven't experienced that that's crazy you know what? i almost <laughs> feel like i almost feel like uh like that we thought that shouldn't be made public because i feel a bit guilty about that and, oh, no no uh, they're not gonna come like disrespectful to the game okay you're focusing on your craft that's what you're doing you know like you're like you're you're that that focused of an artist that you're just like nah screw it man um jesus because I, I i had these images of you just kind of like sitting there childlike you know just like the controller shaking and God, here it comes shit man yeah i mean it was when i started playing the game i was like yeah fucking hell because i didn't know where it came in i didn't know what the level was going to be or how long it was going to be into it and then kind of as i got through each one it's like huh. i mean not disappointed because the other chains were banging as well but i did want that experience you know like <gasps> holy shit and then seeing just whatever their vision had been for where it would suit and at what point in the plot and everything so yeah that that surprise is still out there for me actually that's that's maybe that's something i should be doing with my life i mean you know it's like we are in a moment of uh of lockdown quarantine i know i know you're keeping busy but like <laughs> yeah. come on man now's the fucking time if there was ever a time yeah now yeah, is the yeah, time yeah, yeah. 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 so i know you time. like you kind of said to me like when i was emailing you you said that like you've you're not much of a gamer these days like, like you've it's more kind of older stuff for you yeah for sure like i mean i loved sega mega drive games like sonic and road rash 2 not so much road rash 1 and streets of rage 1 to 3 uh yeah, GTA Vice City, a couple of couple of sort of more modern, modern ones like Fez was pretty cool. Uh, has an amazing soundtrack and Braid. I thought had a just like a beautiful idea behind it, but I don't spend. I, don't, I haven't owned the console since the PlayStation Two, uh, and I yeah I really don't spend much time playing games. So I guess what I'm wondering though is like, is this a one and done experience for you? Like th- this flirtation with the video game world, or would you be attracted to trying to get back onto a different game? Um, yeah, sometimes I think about it, um, living the precarious life of an artist, uh, I mean, I work in music also professionally, um, but sometimes it would be nice to think that there could be other revenue streams, uh, to pay my rent with. Gotta get that FIFA sync, man. (laughs) It's the dream, man. It's the dream. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know. My, my passion is just in making records, and that that's what I do. Um, but there's Benny Smiles, and and, and just in, in studio work. Uh, yeah, that's that's just what I love doing, and that's what I'm really driven to do. I I don't play enough video games. I don't think to ever really excel as a video game composer. Um, yeah, I don't know. Maybe, maybe someday some, an opportunity will come back up, or it might just roll around again. But for now, it's not something I'm pursuing. Okay, so what's coming up, Benny Smiles wise, for the rest of the year? Oh, uh, so I just put out a single called "When We Touch," which you gave a glowing two-word review. Pretty good. <laughs> yeah, listen, like it was the end of the show. Okay, I'm sorry. I like, like my energy was gone. I, I, I've, I, I vow to do better. It is pretty good. <laughs> like I was sincere. It's all about it's the tone, Dave. It's the, it's the tone. Pretty good. Yeah, yeah. All right. Yeah, yeah I know. Weary, weary resigns. I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> no, I was like, yeah, that that came out. Um, 
I cut that came out in mid-April. Uh, Spotify got behind that, so that's that seems to be doing really really well, and that's nice. Um, I'm working on a whole EP to follow that up with. There's going to be singles in the next couple of months. Uh, hopefully, with another collaboration from uh, Echo E H C O Echo, um, featuring former members of Enemies, whose album just turned ten. Uh, I know the lads. Yeah. Yeah, the boys. Yeah. The boys. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. Hopefully, um, me and Jessie are working on something where she's going to sing on it. That could end up being the next single, but there's a few in the pipes, and yeah, they'll be released bit by bit, and eventually the whole EP will, will, will be completed. Awesome, man. Thank you so much for taking the time. You're not laid back on the show until you finish the game, though. That's the rule. <laughs> That's the deal. That's fair enough. That's fair enough. Yeah, thanks for it. Thanks very much for having me. Thank you once again to Ross, a.k.a. Benny Smiles. Go check out his music and go play the Hotline Miami games. It's still... I'm, my jaw is still on the floor a couple of days later that he himself has not finished the game and hasn't heard his song in it. I just think that that's, like, ridiculous. But, you know, come yeah, on. Yeah, I'm going to have to get on too. I'm going to have to get on too as well. Uh, for a minute, yeah, I thought you had Hideo, but that was really good anyway. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, no, still still trying to get that connection, but we'll see. You know, like, he, the guy won't respond to my emails. This episode of No Encore, as always, was engineered by our trusty Sonic architect, Adam Shanahan. Craig, other listening, what you got? Yeah, so I've been listening to Jenny Bet, um, and I agree with you that it, like our heart wasn't really in it this week. Uh, to Love Is To Live is the album title, which is a bit kind of fridge magnety. Uh, but anyway, some nice stuff on it. I, I've got to say I was kind of disappointed. And when we made the call midweek to just, we had, you know, we had enough on the show, we didn't quite need it. I, I didn't find myself going back to it. Um, I think like it's quite ambitious. Uh, she was inspired by Blackstar. Um, and there's like avant-garde stuff. I don't think it's as avant-garde as she probably thinks it is. And I think there's kind of some lyrical clunkers and not quite the tunes being there. I love her as an artist, um, but I don't think I'll be revisiting it. Um, other than that this week, White Pony turned 20. Um, so I went back to that today. Deftones, what an absolute masterpiece. Digital Bots, Passenger. Ah, yeah, so good. Check that out if you haven't heard it. Everyone's heard it, but that's what I've been listening to. How about you? Yeah, I would agree with you, Craig, on the Jenny Beth record. Jenny Beth, of course, of Savages. Great fucking band. Two great albums and amazing live if you ever get the chance. Uh, Yeah, it didn't quite work for me. I would agree that it's not as avant-garde as I thought it might be. And like Trent Reznor was big in this up because she was supposed to support Nine Inch Nails on their American dates, which of course have been have been cancelled. But yeah, I I kind of thought there wasn't enough grabbing me. At times it reminded me of the Hayden Thorpe record. It's that kind of Baroque style. Um, But it didn't really, it just didn't really kind of, uh, I suppose, coalesce uh, there's a Killian Murphy spoken word bit on there for no reason at all and it just feels quite disjointed I think I need to spend more time with it in a week in which I'm not really you know I'm, I'm more amenable to that kind of music but it didn't strike me as a like like a like a a, a, a gem uh, Phoebe Bridgers has released her album early Punisher came out on the I'm Thursday. very excited about that yeah on the Friday I've, I've given it literally one listen so I can't draw a conclusion yet but it definitely sounds promising uh, there's a bunch of singles out this week which are worth checking out uh, there's Pow Pig and Intellectual J-L-O-L and Jules so some good Irish stuff there which is dropping the day of this podcast um, returns as well. Uh, the Fiery Furnaces, an indie outfit, released their first song in 10 years. It's called Down at say, the So-and-So on Somewhere. I haven't heard and from them in Yonks, so obviously they've been away for 10 years. years. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And yeah, not a bad track. Starts off 
good and then kind of gets a bit meandering it's like over five minutes long uh if you've never heard fiery furnaces before they've got a song called waiting to know you i'm waiting to know you and it's one of the best songs i've ever heard by anybody and also in the comeback trail doves who remembers doves because they're back after 11 years with a song called carousels which sounds like elbow spliced with coldplay spliced with doves it's fine you know good to have them back i suppose yeah, I would have always said doves were like, I would have described them as the good elbow. <laughs> um, <laughs> so yeah, maybe I'll give them a, a cursory listen. Um, so you ha- what you're saying is you haven't had time to finally get into Steely Dan and join me in this voyage now? No, I haven't, because before I, I finished The Last of Us on Monday, I watched uh, that new Judd Apatow film starring Pete Davidson called The King of Staten Island, which I thought I would hate, and I actually quite liked and found I it very I quite like Pete Davidson. I think you'll like this then. It's it's, ba- oh, okay. it's semi-autobiographical. Like, it's based on his life to a degree. And it's also, like, it's like two hours 20, which, you know, for a dramedy, I don't know what you're doing, but that's kind of typical of Judd Apatow. It takes a while to get going, but, like, Bill Burr is in it, Steve Buscemi, Marissa Tomei. I think Pete Davidson's actually very good in it. And it has, dude, it is... It is fucking cheating. It's it's got the cheat codes on in terms of needle drops. Like, I don't want to spoil them for anyone who might listen, but like Wu-Tang. the film <laughs> Clearly. <laughs> the film begins the film begins and ends with the same artist, who's one of my favorite artists and has uh, had a profound impact on my mental health and also Pete Davidson's. The film also includes a heroic montage set to one of the great instrumental songs of all time. And I was kind of like, ah, oh, lads, you're just taking the piss here. I, I'm not going to spoil them because I think it's better going in. Oh. But also, there's a scene in the film, right, where they have this kind of sing-along in a bar and it's set to a song called um one headlight by a band called the wallflowers i think it was like a 90s radio hit apparently it was like pete davidson and his dad his dad who died in 9-11 he was a firefighter i think it was like his him and his dad's like favorite song or something so it's just this moment where they're all kind of singing it in a bar and i was like there's just something about the way it goes like in terms of as the film progresses it does start to show a real heart so i was quite won over by it and the soundtrack is good there's some really good stuff on there so i've been listening to that as well that's my kind of main overall point anyway that's about it for this week craig next week bob dylan a new top five a special guest and another podcast and uh yeah i'm gonna i'm basically gonna spend the next few days playing the last of us too when are you gonna get it I don't know. I'm trying to think of how long it'll take to download. I'm, I'll probably get it this weekend, maybe give it a week or so and then dive in because I know it'll just be all consuming. Um, but I am excited about it. I've got to focus on Dylan next week. Everything else is on hold. Dave, there's going to be like 17 minute tracks. As you know, it's going to be intense. We're going to be pouring over lyrical analysis. I'm excited already. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I'm working this weekend. I'm still in my job until the 30th of June. So, you know, still looking for a new job, anyone listening? <laughs> but uh, I, I intend I intend to basically just fucking um, throw Bob Dylan on the background, see how that works. Uh, I'll, I'll, <laughs> cool. I'll let you know how that goes. Sounds Same like tracking my final days in a job in which I was supposed to have a lot longer in there. But what are you going to do? All right. Uh, my name is Dave Hanratty. This has been No Encore. There will be No Encore. And we'll talk to you soon. Play some video games. Escucha ritmo. To the island of Capri All the way to Kuala Lumpur I will follow you wherever you may be This podcast is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network. <sighs> 
the only thing better than grinding all night for your side hustle is your roommate picking you up with Mickey D's breakfast. The perfect pickup deal. There's a deal for every morning at McDonald's. Right now, taste breakfast perfection when you get a warm and savory sausage McMuffin with egg for just $2.50. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with combo meal. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.